T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. After a very difficult January, the Omicron surge now seems to be on its way out, with case counts dropping and hospitalizations going down. So in response, state and local leaders are beginning to once again relax COVID restrictions. But just how fast should we be letting our guard down? Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on the program, we're going to be diving into a set of questions that we've grappled with a number of times before, basically... When it comes to COVID, how cautious is too cautious, and how safe is safe enough? In recent weeks, a group of Bay Area doctors came out clearly on one side of this debate, releasing an open letter to the governor and state health officials, highlighting the negative side effects of COVID response measures, especially when it comes to children, and calling for a less conservative approach going forward. That letter, by the way, came along with a Change.org petition that's already received more than 35,000 signatures. But meantime, other local health experts have responded by urging continued vigilance against this pandemic, pointing to moments in very recent memory where a lack of caution resulted in unnecessary deaths. So uh, we're going to open up this conversation now and invite on one of the authors of that open letter. That would be Dr. Gene Noble, who is a professor of emergency medicine with UC San Francisco and also the director of COVID response for the UCSF Emergency Department. Dr. Gene Noble, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks so much for having me. And for some reaction to that letter and further perspective on how we should be thinking about COVID risks at this moment, we're also going to welcome back onto the program now frequent guest, Dr. John Swartzberg, clinical professor emeritus of infectious diseases and vaccinology with UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. Dr. John Swartzberg, welcome to back to the program to you as well. Thank you very much, Keith. So, Dr. G. Noble, uh, this petition comes with a long list of specific policy shifts that you're hoping to see, and uh, we can get into those in a bit more depth a little bit later on in the program. But to start us off, broadly speaking, uh, tell us about the motivation for writing this letter now, because, you know, we are on the downswing of this surge, and uh, we also are likely going to see the end of a state mask mandate in a little bit over a week. So, what are you worried that we're going to get wrong about our COVID drawdown? 
Well, I don't want kids to be last in line. So in California, our children face the longest uh, social lockdown pretty much of, of kids anywhere in the country. Our, our children were out of school for about 18 months. And we primarily viewed them uh, through the lens of disease control and less attention or secondary attention to their mental health and their academic needs, their social emotional needs. So as we knew that cases would begin to plummet after we, we passed, the, passed the corner with our, our Omicron cases, we wanted to get kids first in line. So we know that our indoor mask mandate for adults in California expires on February 15th, and that's not likely to be extended. We would like to see kids be put first ahead of adults or at least at the same time as adults have those mask restrictions lifted because they are the lowest risk group of any demographic group in terms of their individual COVID risk. And they have the longest mask hours, six hours a day, about five days a week, which is much more masking than most adults are asked to do. And they are trying to learn. They're trying to learn language. They're trying to learn to interpret complex facial expressions. They have the most harm from the masks and the least benefit. So we want them first in line. All right. And also just want to pick up on the overall sense that this letter gives. It, it does seem like it reflects a certain degree of frustration at the level of caution that public health officials have taken over the past two years. Am I, am I reading that right? Is there just a, a general sense there that we have been too cautious in, in many ways and it's uh, time to reassess that approach? Yeah, I think there is a bit of frustration. You know, as an emergency physician, I really applauded California's rapid response to COVID early in 2020. You know, we were operating with limited information and we acted quickly. And I think that was fully appropriate. But, you know, more than two years into this, I think we've really failed to continue to do a rigorous cost-benefit analysis for all of our interventions. COVID is not the only disease in town. It's not the only thing that, that harms people on a regular basis. And whenever we leave a COVID restriction in place, we need to try to estimate as best we can, what is the bang for the buck that we're getting there? You know, how many lives do we think we're saving? How many hospitalizations do we think we're saving by this particular policy? And then what are the harms of that policy? What are the potential unintended consequences that we might anticipate and weigh those two things, you know, directly against each other? And I think that that sort of analysis has been lacking for, for a long time. All right, once again, that is Dr. Gene Noble, a professor of emergency medicine with UC San Francisco. And hopefully that gives some sense of where this letter from you and your colleagues is coming from. Uh, now I want to tease out some of the different threads in your argument. And I think one of the most important threads is uh, your sense that basically we need to update our risk assessment from this pandemic. Uh, basically, my understanding of what you're saying is that with the rise of Omicron and with uh, widespread immune protection in the populace, uh, either from vaccines or from prior infections, this pandemic is quite a bit less dangerous than it was in the past. Uh, but it seems like you're also saying that we as a society have not really absorbed that fact yet. Uh, do I have that about right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we have, you know, we have now really high vaccination rates now because Omicron was so darn infectious. We have high levels of natural immunity, as you just said. It does not, and Omicron itself is less pathogenic or it represents, it causes less serious illness among our population than prior strains such as Delta. And so we really need to see 
updated guidance to to reflect that case counts for instance you know case counts do not clearly determine hospitalization rates we had you know at the very peak of our surge here something like you know 10 times the number of cases of omicron as we did delta but a third of the deaths i mean we have to our policies have to reflect this new reality and a lot of our policies feel like they were birthed in 2020 and had in a pre-vaccination era and it really failed to to keep pace with where we are today. And just for a frame of reference, where should we be thinking about the risk levels for, let's say, your average non-immune compromised adult who's been triple vaxxed? What is comparing it to maybe the flu or the cold? Uh, where, where are we at with the risk posed by Omicron? Very, very similar. So the unvaccinated child uh, with Omicron has a flu-like level of illness threat. Uh, the vaccinated child has a much lower level threat than than influenza. And for the for the vax boosted adult, it is a it, it is a flu-like threat. And so you know, in many other places in the world, have really moved ahead and tried to embrace this. Spain, Portugal, UK, South Africa, they are all demoting COVID and beginning to treat it as they would influenza, not doing asymptomatic testing, not doing quarantines, you know, trying to get rid of mask mandates, really recognizing the harms that come with our restrictions and trying to move as quickly as possible to minimize those harms and normalize society, getting us back to 2019 as soon as is reasonable from a public health perspective. And really, I think that time is now, or as soon as we're done with this Omicron surge, which is really just a few weeks away. All right. And I think that that is a good point to bring in uh, Dr. John Swartzberg. Uh, Once again, he's a clinical professor emeritus of infectious diseases and vaccinology with UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. So, Dr. John Swartzberg, uh, you just heard that uh, risk assessment there from Dr. Gene Noble. Uh, What do you make of that? Um, uh, Where would you say we are with the risks from Omicron? Right. Well, I would completely agree with what Dr. Noble is having to say about doing careful risk assessment to make sure we understand where we are in the pandemic and let that guide our public health decisions. Um, The first perspective I would want to give to that is that, you know, we've we've been chasing this this virus since the very beginning. The Bay Area has done a much better job than, frankly, any other part of the country. And I attribute that to our wonderful medical systems here and a fabulous public health system. Um, and and a population that's followed public health very well. But still, we wind up chasing this virus. And um, one of the mistakes that we've consistently made is that we have, every time after a surge, we tend to loosen up a little too soon so we leave ourselves at a higher level of cases than before the surge started. And we keep building on that. And I'm seeing the same thing happening right now with Omicron. It's really fabulous how the numbers are dropping, just like we've seen in South Africa and just like we've seen in in the United Kingdom. The numbers are are dropping just about as fast as they uh, arose here. But in South Africa, roughly at about two thirds of the way down, they've plateaued. And in the United Kingdom, about a little over halfway down, they've plateaued in terms of that drop. So far, we haven't seen the U.S. plateau, but we just don't know how this virus is going to behave. Right now, we're roughly at about 50% of our peak of where we were in the second and third week of um, January. 
And so we're about halfway down that mountain right now, but we don't know that it's going to go all the way down over the next two or three or four weeks. We found this, this virus to be devilishly difficult to predict. So I began this discussion by saying I absolutely agree with Dr. Noble. Um, we need to base it on exactly where we are, but we, we don't know where we're going to be in the next two or three weeks. So I think we should just hurry slowly. <laughs> All right. Uh, a lot of uh, good points to pick up there. Real quick, want to reintroduce you both. Uh, for anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life here in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, as the Omicron surge begins to fade, we're considering what the next phase of the pandemic response might look like. Uh, we've been getting the perspectives of Dr. Gene Noble, the director of COVID response for the UCSF Emergency Department. Also been hearing from Dr. John Swartzberg, clinical professor emeritus of infectious diseases and vaccinology with UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. So, uh, Dr. John Swartzberg, um, before we turn things back to Dr. Noble, wants to uh, drill down on one of the points that she made, which was that for uh, fully vaccinated, triple vaxxed adults who are not immune compromised, we are seeing a, a, a comparable level of risk um, to uh, the Omicron uh, variant that we see from other common uh, sorts of ailments, uh, raising, you know, uh, colds, flus. Do you agree with that? Is is that a fair risk assessment at this point? I think for the uh, the data is pretty compelling for the person who is uh, otherwise in relatively good health, who is fully vaccinated and boosted. And I would really emphasize the and boosted. The risk to that individual is really right around the risk to influenza, maybe even a little bit less. So um, that's absolutely true. And the the risks to those who remain unvaccinated, either by choice or because of uh, medical reasons, uh, how different is the picture for them? Enormously different. And that's what's so disturbing. If you um, look nationally, the risk of somebody who is not vaccinated is seven, uh, about seven and a half times greater to get infected 15 times greater to wind up in the hospital and roughly 30 times greater to die than somebody who is fully vaccinated and boosted. But, you know, tucked into that, there's other disturbing information about vaccination. And that is that if you're fully vaccinated, what the United States calls fully vaccinated, but not boosted, your risk of um, getting infected is twice as much as somebody who is boosted, 14 times as much to wind up in the hospital as somebody who's boosted, and three times as much the chance of dying as somebody who's boosted. So the bottom line is that we don't have enough people winding up getting that boost that we need. That's a yeah, it's a very good point because obviously in the Bay Area we do have very high vaccination rates, meaning the the two series uh, from the beginning or the one shot for the Johnson & Johnson, but uh, those booster rates uh, are still not quite where a lot of public health officials want to see them. Uh, want to turn things back over to Dr. Gene Noble. So if we are talking about uh, reducing some of these uh, COVID restrictions, masking at schools, what about that notion that we have been down this road before? We have uh, reduced mask mandates, uh, thinking of mid last year before the Delta wave uh, really came out and uh, later had people say that, you know, maybe we did that uh, too soon. I mean, is there a, uh, is there a, a concern that we could do this too soon and come to regret it later? 
You know, I don't think that the evidence, unfortunately, is all that compelling for our, our strictest measures. And, and I say that because, you know, you look at um, hospitalization, and you know, and mortality rates in places like Massachusetts versus West Virginia, relatively similar, you know, Florida versus New York, relatively similar, you know, places that had very, very different approaches, some with, you know, long and hard lockdowns, strict mask policies and places like Florida that were just, let's keep everything open and not appearing all that different. Uh, there was a recent, you know, analysis that, that just came out this, this past week showing that these, you know, these broad, um, relatively severe mitigation efforts um, may have not really changed the, the trajectory of the, of the pandemic that much. So, so I, I think it's a little bit questionable. I don't, I don't know that we can say with a high level of certainty that, you know, opening things up briefly uh, is, what, is what really led to the height of the, of the Delta surge. And we do know of the harms that, that come with these restrictions. You know, we have, you know, as an emergency provider, we, I see patients all the time who are essentially, you know, kicked out of group living situations, people who are, you know, really vulnerable with, with significant psychiatric challenges, substance use disorders, living in a group home because they really need that support to keep them off the streets. And they will do, you know, testing, asymptomatic testing in that group home. Several of them will test positive. They'll get sent to the ER by ambulance and literally have nowhere to go and become homeless, unhoused, because we have really limited number of COVID beds in the city. And, you know, and that happens over and over again. I mean, there are real harms associated with this you know, laser focus on preventing morbidity and mortality from COVID and, you know, and ignoring all of the other uh, things that are, that are harming the most vulnerable in our society. So I think it's, it's really important that we're, we're very confident in the data of the benefit of these restrictions because the harms are real and measurable. And I'm, and I'm just not sure as far, you know, in this post-vaccination era that we have where everyone really has had access to highly effective vaccines for a long time, that these policies are just worth it because they disproportionately harm the most vulnerable in our communities. Mm. Yeah, so uh, let's uh, let's put that back to uh, Dr. John Swartzberg. What would you say that we know at this point about the impact of the various measures that we've adopted, whether it's uh, restrictions in terms of what kind of business activities you can partake in, mask mandates? Uh, would you offer up a, a different picture than what we just heard? I would. Um, you know, first of all, I'd offer the number of 900,000 dead people in two years with even a little bit more of the mortality in the second year than in the first year. And I'd also um, beg to differ about the, the data comparing, for example, Florida to New York or Florida to California in terms of mortality. Uh, when you look at the uh, number of deaths per 100,000 in Florida and in Texas, two states that have very different policies, and for example, California and New York, those numbers clearly show that the mortality rates per 100,000 are, are less in those state, in uh, California and New York than in Florida and Texas. So uh, the reason why I'm making that point is that we know that certain interventions work. I think the evidence is compelling that they work in terms of protecting people from getting infected. 
And those include, of course, number one being the vaccine with the booster. Unfortunately, as we discussed earlier, not enough people have gotten the booster. Only about um, 40, less than 45% of the Americans who have had two jabs of the mRNA vaccines have gotten their third, which is just really a terrible mistake that they're making. But in addition to vaccination, there's a substantial scientific data to support the use of masks in terms of preventing people from getting infected, what we call one of the major non-pharmaceutical interventions. And so while we do need to, to use all the evidence that we can find to make the best decisions, so that's where I'm in complete agreement with Dr. Noble, the question really is in the timing. And we're getting very close to the position where we are ready to start peeling off certain things. Um, again, I think we would be talking about making some substantial changes by if the trajectory continues to be the same as it is now by March 1st, and then steps after that. So I think it's going to be a process, but it can be pretty quick um, given that we continue to see the, the declining cases that we're currently seeing. Yeah. I, I want to talk uh, in just a couple of seconds about schools, but just getting a, a little bit of a sense in this conversation that the difference in the exactly when we want to end uh, these various restrictions may not be all that huge between the two of you. And I, and I want to put that uh, to Dr. Noble. I mean, if we're talking about the difference of a few weeks here, maybe the better part of a month, uh, is is there really that much of a calamitous difference uh, between what you, you're saying and what many other uh, health experts uh, throughout California are saying, if it's going to end up looking fairly similar by the beginning of March? No, that's an excellent point. I think we are actually all quite close together. I, you know, I had a recent op-ed saying that these these calls are not radical. We we are talking about a, you know a difference of a few weeks. I think the main point though with the petition is that we do want kids first in line. I mean, they really, they are the lowest risk group. All school-age kids have been eligible for vaccination for just about 12 weeks. And so, you know, San Francisco has already peeled back part of its mask mandate for, you know, boosted adults in the setting of 100 or less who, you know, who sort of cohort together or in, in workplace settings where it's not a rotating group of, group of people. Those adults are higher risk than our kids. And it's our kids have so much to lose from the masking. You know, they are, I mean, they, they had the longest lockdown. It's from a public health standpoint, we should be looking at the whole child, all of their needs, their social and emotional needs, their mental health needs and putting them first. And that will not be risking the society at large. It will just be benefiting our kids. So that's the main plug is, you know, we, we should cherish our children. They are the most vulnerable. They are voiceless in this. And we should be putting them first. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Just going to reintroduce you both one more time. We have about 10 minutes left in the program, and this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today we're considering an open letter from a group of Bay Area doctors making the case that it's time to re-examine our approach to the pandemic. Uh, hearing from one of the authors right now, that was Dr. Gene Noble a second ago, the director once again of COVID response for the UCSF Emergency Department. Also getting some additional perspective from frequent guest, Dr. John Swartzberg. He's a clinical professor emeritus of infectious diseases and vaccinology at UC Berkeley's School of public health. Uh, So uh, briefly, because I do want to give Dr. Schwartzberg a chance to weigh in, uh, but uh, if you could, Dr. Noble, I mean, I I was uh, among the things in your uh, list of um, uh, proposed changes, I think masking is the one that probably stuck out the most to me because the logic for masking seems pretty straightforward. It's uh, a cheap, you know, uh, something that we can all buy at this point. Uh, Put it on your face reduces the risk of transmission quite substantially. Seems like the downside isn't all that big. Uh, So a lot of uh, health experts saying basically, you know, it's a a no brainer. Why not just keep doing it? Um, But uh, you're suggesting that there really is um, a, a larger cost than many people appreciate for children. That's right. Uh, you know, we have almost a million English language learners in our among our six million California K through 12 students. We have, you know, over 100,000 who have speech challenges. It is really difficult, particularly for our youngest learners, to you know pick up on the nuances of speech on complex facial emotions with half of the face covered. And this has been going on for a long time. I mean, kids were not in school at all in person, most of them for 18 months. And they have a a long road of recovery ahead of them. So I think that the, the, the data on the harms is increasing and the data on the benefits really needs to outweigh those potential harms. You know, in medicine, we, we follow the notion of first do no harm. And if there is any suggestion that that masking is putting our most disadvantaged kids at additional disadvantage, we should be reticent to do that. I mean, we should only do that with caution and if there are not other better alternatives. And of course we have vaccination, which is highly protective that we could be doing instead. And just in terms of the data on masking in kids, we, we actually don't have robust high quality data showing that masked children have reduced levels of transmission in schools. And that I had, you know, I had a piece in the Atlantic this past week 
uh, entitled The Case Against School Masking. And it really it just looked, it was a deep dive into, into the existing data. Um, and we, you know, the, 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 the studies that are often cited by the CDC have a, a significant confounder in them, which is they did not control for vaccination rates. So pointing to, you know, an Arizona study looking at Pima County versus Maricopa County and, and saying, well, there's three times as many outbreaks in, in Maricopa County. But Maricopa County didn't mask and they also didn't vax. So it's, you know, that's that's not a high quality study. We we have looked at comparing school districts in North Dakota and Florida and Tennessee that have similar vax rates, but different mask policies. And there's virtually no difference in transmission between those districts. So I would say that the existing data does not support school masking is an important risk mitigation layer. Um, you know, the effect is, modest at best. And, and, and if the harms are there, it's it's time that they come off. Dr. Schwartzberg, uh, your take. Sure. A few things. One about vaccination. Um, looking at the, the data about children being vaccinated, children between ages 5 and 11, um, 26% have received two doses. 26%. So not enough children are being vaccinated. Children between the ages of 12 and 17, the numbers are better, 64% have received two doses, but only 27% of those um, have been boosted. We can't boost those children five to 11 yet, it's not approved for that. So we don't have a high, a real high rate of vaccination in the children that we'd really like to see. In terms of masking, um, you know, I think that the way I'm looking at this is it's a process. Uh, to peel away a lot of the protections that we need. And I think we need to do it as a process as opposed to just taking away one very important thing, and that would be, of course, masking. Um, so I would like to see certainly masks come off, but I would like to see the numbers a lot better before we do that. And I'd like to be much more secure that those numbers are going to be sustained at a, at a more constant level. Right now, for example, we're at... Um, uh, our hospitalization rates are just starting to drop. We're down to about 5.4 here in California per 100,000 people. Our, our peak was at 6.6. But when we're really at a constant low rate of, rate of cases, we're talking about one to two per 100,000. So we're still way away from that. So again, you know, as we've said several times, um, we're in, we're, we're quite a, quite in agreement about where we want to be. It's just a question of how to get there and how quickly to get there. In terms of looking specifically at masks, um, I, I, I completely agree that I'd love to have our children without masks. Um, I'd also love to have our children be in school. And what happens is if there's an outbreak in the classroom, then we wind up with um, that classroom being either shut down or sometimes even the school being shut down. Um, and so then kids are out of school. Um, so again, I think we have to do this one step at a time and be very cautious. First step being, let's make get the case rates much more further down than they are now. So the chances of anybody getting COVID are much reduced. And then once that's done, then we can take other steps. All right. Well, this obviously is uh, such a, a very big topic and so many more things that I wish we had time to cover, but uh, we are just about out of time right now. Uh, in closing, if I could just get from each of you maybe uh, 30 seconds, because uh, there are so many threads to all this. If this is a moment 
that we should be reassessing our understanding of this pandemic and uh, what our response should be going forward, Dr. Noble, what would you hope would be the top couple of things that uh, our listeners would keep in mind in the months ahead? I hope that however, you know, whatever COVID lays, whatever is in store for us in the future, that our, we have metrics to guide us. So if we have a more threatening variant, a more infectious, a more deadly variant, that we know exactly what it is going to take and for how long to get, you know, to get our numbers down under control. What, are, what metrics will we use to pull back on restrictions and to have a continual cost-benefit analysis that is very transparent and put forth by our public health leaders. I think it's incredibly important that we maintain faith in our public health leaders. There will be other pandemics, other disasters that await us in the future, and we've all got to work together as a team. And I think transparency, data-driven approaches is the way to to keep us all together. And uh, Dr. Schwartzberg, same question to you. And I would completely agree with what Dr. Noble had to say. Um, I would also like to say that I'm quite optimistic for the um, later spring and summer. I think that we're going to be in a much better position to deal with this virus or any other variant that um, this virus throws at us. And I say that because of, we'll have a lot more people immunized either by uh, previously being infected or even better by being vaccinated and boosted. But we're going to also have more diagnostic tools available to us, more readily available to us. And even more importantly, we're going to have more therapeutics uh, available to us. I'm specifically thinking about monoclonal antibodies and uh, Paxlovid, um, one of the two drugs that has an emergency use authorization now. Those things are going to really change the game, even if there is a new variant in front of us. So again, um, let's hurry slowly and keep everybody safe in this process of bringing life more back towards normal. And I think we're looking toward a much better future. All right. uh, A lot of important points there. And uh, we do thank you both for them. One last time, we've been speaking with Dr. Gene Noble, once again, a professor of emergency medicine with UC San Francisco. Dr. Gene Noble, thanks so much. Thanks so much. And also we're hearing there from Dr. John Schwartzberg, once again, clinical professor emeritus of infectious diseases and vaccinology with UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. Dr. John Schwartzberg, always good to have you on. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.